0: This is message number five in our values that we've been doing in preparation for a new season, getting into this new building. The title of the message this morning is called Exponential Increase. Everybody say Exponential Increase. Say it with me, come on. Exponential Increase. Exponential is like when you, in in the math class that you had, where you had an exponent, where you raised a number to a certain power, which means you multiplied that number by itself the number of times it was up there. If it was squared, then it was 5 squared was 5 times 5. So 2, 5. 5 times five, twenty five. 25, okay? If it's 5 cubed, 5 to the third power, it would be 5 times 5 times 5, which is 125. And so every time the exponent increases, it explosively grows. So get that. There's a difference in exponential growth and just linear growth, where you're just trotting along and... You just kind of go through an experience and you learn a little bit and you kind of have a slight trend upward or maybe a slight trend downward in terms of produce or sales or you know whatever you're doing in your life, however you're measuring your growth. Exponential increase is a kingdom concept and I want to talk to you about that a little bit this morning in this fifth value. Our... Our series text is found in Isaiah 4321. The prophet Isaiah says, This people have I formed for myself. They will declare my praise. King James says, show forth. S-H-E-W, Old English show, to demonstrate, to manifest, to model it. Okay? So that has been our text through this. The Jewish nation answered this prophetically. They were the fulfillment of that. This people have I formed for myself. They will. Show forth my praise. They will declare my praise. We as the New Testament church, victory is only one cell in the larger body of Christ that is all over the world. That is red and yellow, black and white out of every kindred, nation, tribe and tongue, out of every denomination, Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox and all of the other sub Heinz 57 varieties of Christianity. We're grateful. Since the first seed was planted... In a manger in Bethlehem, there has been an exponential increase in the seed of God being birthed again, born again into believers around the world. And so this morning, as we look to our message text today, I want to go back to Isaiah earlier in his major work. By the way, we differentiate major and minor prophets, not because... Uh, One of them had a bigger billing than the other, but it was because of the size of what they wrote. Isaiah wrote 66 chapters in his book, which is kind of a condensed version of the whole Bible. The Bible has 66 books. Isaiah's book has 66 chapters. And some very interesting parallels in those 66. There's judgment for the first 39 chapters. And then chapter 40, it opens up and he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Interestingly enough, the 40th book in the Bible is the book of Matthew where the Comforter comes on the scene. His name is Jesus. And so the whole tone of Isaiah changes. Early in the book, in the middle of all of that judgment, Isaiah prophesies, and he doesn't see it happen in his lifetime. They laughed him to scorn because in chapter 7, verse 11, he says, "...a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel." And they laughed at him so much so that he he, he just couldn't get out of that flow. He stayed in that prophetic flow that two chapters later he picks it up again. And in Isaiah chapter 9 he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That sounds like a Christmas passage, doesn't it? Because we always trot it out every year to celebrate the birth of the God-man, the Messiah King, the Priest-King. Ministry of Jesus. Verse 7 says, read it with me. Of the what? Increase of His government and of peace. There will be what? No end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom. Just go ahead. Let's, yeah, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It took 700 years to pass. Isaiah had been long dead and gone, forgotten by some but it was recorded and he leaned over the balcony of heaven the night that a baby was laid in a manger and the angels sang and the shepherds watched and the cattle, the sheep and the donkeys and the wise men started on their two-year trek to show up later when he was a little young toddler in the house in Nazareth. All this whole thing we celebrate as we're about to roll into in this season all began in this moment when a seed was planted. Go back, if you would, to verse 7. I want the people to see it one more time. Read it with me out loud of the what? Increase of His, say it, government and of peace. There will be no end. Stop right there. This is exponential increase. There is no end to it. Writer of the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the physician, grab this verse, and I believe it's Luke one thirty seven says of the increase of His kingdom, there shall be no end. Isaiah says, of the increase of His government and of His peace. Peace is that beautiful Hebrew word shalom. And it's that concept that is not just the absence of strife or war or tension, but it's a, this, this multifaceted, packed word uh, shalom, which means wellness, wholeness, body, mind, and spirit. It means, it means blessing, peace, prosperity. It means no lack. It means where the government of, of God is, where the Messiah's kingdom is, There his government, his lordship, brings the blessing of peace, shalom, wholeness, power, prosperity, plenty. Everything is there. Now, we want that. We want all of those blessings, but we don't want what must bring it. Everybody say government. His lordship, where he calls the shots, where he is the boss, where we say, be my governor, O Lord. Be Lord of my life, of the increase of his government and His peace. His government is what brings change. It it is what produces all of the blessings that that word peace has packed full of. It says there shall be no end. There's, There's an exponential explosion. It's like taking a dollar and turning it into a thousand. It is... Such an amazing return on investment. My my first degree is in business, and I remember the finance class where we learned this this ratio. Uh, It was the higher the risk, the higher the ROI, the return on investment. And so uh, uh, that's the reason the safest thing. if, If you need your cash available, then you want to put it in a certificate of deposit. It's a very, very low risk, but because the risk is so low, the return is very low. But if you can afford to be able to invest and let it be out there for a number of years to bring some return, then you put it into like an emerging market mutual fund where you can literally see 20, 25, 30% increase in one year. But the risk is high. And the risk is so high that you have the potential that's greater to lose that investment. But because of that risk, when the investment does return to you, it brings great benefit with it as well. And so, this is a kingdom principle. When you step out in faith, the greater degree of risk, somebody said, How do you spell faith? R I S K. You have to throw your leg over the boat when Jesus says, Come on, Peter, get out of the boat, walk on the water. There is risk involved, there is faith that must be on the line. So, the exponential increase that I believe God wants to bring us is because we've been building these concepts for the last four weeks. If you would put up the graphic where we've got the stair steps, it's on the front of your message notes this morning, and it shows you the values and their steps. We begin with the environment that we intentionally create. It is how we do church, it's the way we worship, it's lighting and effects and all that kind of stuff, but that's only a small portion of it. The greater factors that create the environment that we make here, at, that victory intentionally, the culture that we're creating, is that we passionately love God and we intentionally love each other. We create a warm environment so that when people come in the door, they feel welcomed. we have smiles on our faces, and, and, and we passionately show how much we love Jesus... Not just in how high we raise our hands or how loud we shout, but how much we love and respect each other even through difficult, tense times. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right? And so that environment is created intentionally so that we can embrace diversity in our community. People that don't think like us, don't look like, don't talk like, believe differently, live different kinds of lives, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different belief systems, not just different... Christian, not just Christian cousins, you know, where they come from a different denomination, but completely different belief systems. We don't just love the neighbor that's just like us. We choose to love our gay neighbor and love our Muslim neighbor and love our Republican and Democrat neighbor and our black and our white neighbor and our racist neighbor and our Pharisee neighbor and our really hyper-critical, judgmental neighbor. We love them anyway. We just love our neighbors. Somebody say amen. Okay, so we embrace diversity. Then when the moment comes, because we've shown love first... We engage the opportunity to plant the seed of the gospel because the gospel has the power to transform a life. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation from something, and that's the emphasis we hear all the time in the Bible Belt South, that we've been saved from hell, we've been saved from sin, we've been saved from death, eternal destruction. And I'm so grateful every bit of that is part of the benefit package But when our emphasis is always on fire insurance and we never turn around and tell people what they've been saved to or what they've been saved for, we're only getting one side of the coin of what salvation is all about. You're saved to be a culture changer, a world ambassador for the kingdom of God, to demonstrate and show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a little bit of praise this morning. So we engage, we take the gospel, we plant it, and then when the transformation takes place, we intentionally equip Christ followers. Something happens between engage and equip. A life's been changed. They've been born again. New desires immediately are planted. An old life is cut off. A new life has begun. And so we take that new life and it's amazing, exponential, increasing potential. And we start to equip people based on their shape, their spiritual gifts, their Heart, S-H-A-P-E, spiritual gift. There. What, what are the desires in your heart that God has uniquely given to you? What are your natural abilities? S-H-A-P, your personality. There, there are introverts in the room, there are extroverts in the room, and there are people that are somewhere in between those two. And so you're unique, you're not all the same. And then finally the E, S-H-A-P-E. E is your, your life experiences. Everybody say Experience. So when we get all those together, you have a unique combination of all of those things that makes you suited to fulfill a destiny that God has custom made for your life. I can't sing your song. I can't do your life because I'm not you. You can't do mine. But we are each called to contribute, to participate. We know that we've been saved from something. That's what we have in common. But how we become unique is all that we've been saved to. What God has saved us for. And I hope to equip each and every one of you to uniquely realize what you're suited to do. There is a destiny of God on your life. There is a perfect will of God for your life that you don't have to spend all your time begging God to bless you. When you make choices according to that will, His blessing will chase you down and overtake you. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And so that brings us to this morning where we, number five, excel in maximizing our resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's value number five. Read it with me. Here we go. Excel in maximizing our resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God. One thing that I'm going to weave throughout this whole thing, you know how I do it. Everybody didn't do like I do. This is, this is how I do it. It's the instruction of the Lord on my life. One thing is a summary of the whole message that I'm going to say over and over, several times throughout this, like a chorus on a song. So just listen. God writes the DNA of unlimited potential into every seed. One person can become a nation. You don't think so? Ask Abraham. One believer can change a culture. You don't believe so? Ask Joseph. Ask Daniel. Ask Jesus. One seed can become a forest. Christ in you is the seed of God's glory that will cover the whole earth. Look at the screen, and with passion, read this with me. Come on, everybody together. God writes the DNA of unlimited potential into every seed. One person can become a nation. One believer can change a culture. One seed can become a forest. Christ in you is the seed of God's glory that will cover the whole earth. If you believe that, say amen. Excel. To excel. A lot of conversation the last 40 years in management and leadership about excellence. Excellence is a Bible word. We all went to school and received marks based on our, our work, what we produced. A was excellent. B was Above average, C was average, D was below average, F was failing. Everybody in the room has probably known every one of those marks at some point on something. And we know how it feels when we see the produce or the end result of doing excellent work, putting our heart fully into something, caring about it, finishing the project, doing it on time. We, we, we do that in school with little letters that really don't have any real significance until you get out of that system and into the world, into some kind of a job, where they don't give you A's, B's, C's, D's, and F's, but they write your check and give you bonuses and they give you promotions, and it becomes real-world benefits. And, and once you do what you should do and you do it with excellence, then they reward you with more responsibility. Recognize that the kingdom of God has been set up in such a way that God rewards people who fix problems with bigger problems to fix. That's, what it's, that's why it's called responsibility. You're willing to be a mentor, an example, and lead others, and make wrong decisions where at times you can't please anybody. That's the cost of what it means to be a leader, where you, 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 you live and make decisions based on a, a system of ethics, As a believer, my worldview is built on the Word of God and my ethics are based upon the law of God, which is a written manifestation of God's holiness and how we treat each other. Jesus summed it up in what we call the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so it puts you in the place of how do I want to be treated? So therefore I should sow the seed first of treating others the way I want to be treated. And I sow a seed and then I reap a crop. Excellence is a Bible word. In the Scriptures, the Hebrew and the Greek word excel both mean to shine. The, the song that Aaron sang this morning, Let There Be Light, is such a beautiful testimony of God's very nature because when there was nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing, the theologians tell us that God created this whole thing out of nothing. And, and I would just slightly tweak that. I think He created it out of Himself. And that's certainly, that's certainly not nothing. But as far as resources or products or uh, anything out there, there was nothing outside of him that he could start with and mold it or make it. But he spoke a word and said, light be. In the midst of darkness, all of a sudden light shined. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for it is God who out of the darkness shined his light in us. And the Bible now says that, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There is something on the inside of you that is of the excellency of God. And it's the seed of Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. And So this morning as we think about this concept of shining and darkness, I want you to realize that there is no darkness so powerful enough that it can overcome light. Even the tiniest light. Even the smallest light. Black out these curtains and these walls and these doors, turn all the lights off, and somebody over there in the corner can be down on their knees and can strike one little match, and everybody in the room can see that little match, can see that tiny flame. As a matter of fact, it has been scientifically proven that pitch black darkness out in the country, cloud cover, no stars shining, no moon out, no no lights of any kind, any kind of human uh, illumination whatsoever and someone can strike a match and it can be seen over a mile away. That one little tiny flame has the ability to overcome darkness. The Bible says in him was light and the life was the light of men. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the Bible says that, that the darkness comprehended not the light. It means it could not overcome it. God has called us to shine. Philippians 2 says that we are We are called to shine as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. How much more does that apply to today? A wicked and perverse generation. Everybody say, let your little light shine. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine. Be excellent. Excel at what you do for the kingdom of God. My first point is about... A Bible story that you learned when you were in Sunday school. If you were churched, now, if you didn't grow up in church, that's okay. I'm going to tell you the story anyway. It's Daniel and the three Hebrew children. I was taught when I was a little tyke, a little fat little tyke. Um, I'm 57 now, and so this was probably 50, you know, two or three, four years ago. I remember being in a Sunday school class and them using the little flannel board. I mean, it was state of the art technology we had then in, in Sunday school, and these little paper you know, uh, characters that they would put up on the flannel board, and they would stick. That was just so cool. How did that thing stick up there? And uh, we didn't know anything about pixels, but we were amazed, and it was cool. And uh, so we learned about Daniel and the three Hebrew children. And when, when they used the phrase, the three Hebrew children, I was just sure that those three Hebrew children were five, six, seven years old, how old I was sitting in Sunday school. And literally, that is not correct, because... The, the word here is actually youth, and so we're talking about actually some grown men. They're probably 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, they are strapping, fine, handsome young men who have been kidnapped from their culture. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Bab- Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And Nebuchadnezzar has gone into Jerusalem, ransacked Jerusalem, has stolen all of the gold and silver and bronze ornaments and the instrumentation that was used in the worship of the Jewish people's God, Yahweh, the God above all gods, the capital G above all little g-gods, The one true God was worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar goes in and ransacks it, burns it to the ground, takes all that stuff back with him to Jerusalem and a whole mess. I'm back to Babylon and a whole bunch of the youths from that culture and he's bringing youths in from all over the world because he wants to literally develop a kind of a think tank where he can see... Who is going to be able to produce in knowledge and language and literature and skills and athleticism and intelligence and acumen and all of these different kinds of varieties. And they have a trainer. They have a gym. They're on a special diet that that Nebuchadnezzar himself has set for them to eat. And on the menu are a number of things that faithful Hebrews should not eat. So Daniel goes to the trainer on behalf of his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Some of you are looking at me like, no, that's not those three Hebrew children's names. Well, you've been taught they're Babylonian names, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they got those slapped on them when they got to the foreign culture. Their real God-given Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And those names are prophetic. They mean something. They have a they have a special meaning to them. Just like I'm in touch with what Michael means, who is like unto God? That doesn't mean that that means that I'm like God. It means I'm always asking the question, looking for a relationship. Who is like the Lord? Who has the image of God in them? Michael is the question. Who is like God? Is there, a, is there a friend? Is there somebody in my tribe? Is there somebody I can lean on? Somebody that knows kingdom loyalty. Somebody that will take up kingdom responsibility. Someone that will follow through and be committed. That's the kind of friend. That's the person I'm looking for. That's what my name means. It's just seeking out, searching. Who, is there anybody like God? God. Is there anybody that can mentor that? Is there anybody that can demonstrate that? Is there anybody that can show that that can declare that kind of praise in their life? And so these young men Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah aka Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they they get the permission from the trainer to say we're not going to eat all of this rich fare that Nebuchadnezzar prescribes. And let me just tell you this. When we were in Sunday school, they didn't go into the depth of all that meant. The king's fair wasn't just the food they were eating. It was every sensual pleasure available to them in the king's palace as young men. Everything immoral, everything unethical, everything the way the world does things to rise to a position of influence or leadership. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah all said, we are going to be faithful to the one true God who made us. Let us just have a diet of water and vegetables and test us for 10 days and then compare us to all of these other people that are, that are eating this fare and doing all this stuff that our God's law says we are not to participate in and see if we're not as strong as they are, as bright and witty and can answer as quickly and as accurately as they can. And and so the trainer said, okay, yeah, I'll do that for 10 days. Nebuchadnezzar won't find out about it. Let's just do a test. Let's see if you being honorable to your God will give you an advantage over all of the opportunity that Nebuchadnezzar's palace and his gymnasium affords for all these other youths from the other nations. The trainer tests them ten days later and he sees that they're stronger, that their eyes are brighter, that they're wittier, that they answer more quickly and more accurately. And it was because the favor of God was on them because they chose to obey the commandment of the Lord. What's the moral of that story? Bottom line is you don't have to be recognized as a leader in the world by doing what the world does. You can do what God has called you to do. You can honor God in the middle of a culture that's trying to get you to do everything against what you know you shouldn't do. And if you will honor God, He will put you forward and bring promotion and blessing into your life that no marketing agency could ever bring your way. Come on, somebody, say amen. Don't shout me down now. Everything that we hear that we have to do, we have to lie and cheat and steal and step on others on the way up the corporate ladder and we have to intimidate and manipulate and and all of these unethical and immoral things. You don't have to do it. Let me tell you, sometimes you don't choose your circumstances. Sometimes your circumstances choose you. We don't find ourselves in the middle of a kidnap situation where a foreign culture has come in and dragged us off Hundreds and hundreds, possibly thousands of miles away from our home, away from the freedom of worshiping God in our own place, in our own city, in our own temple. And all of that has been literally, massacre has taken place. And now we're living in a foreign place where a foreign language is shouted in our hearing all the time. Let me tell you, that describes where you are in a foreign culture, in the kingdom of darkness, at your job, in your neighborhood, sometimes in your public schools. Don't come to me and say, Pastor, I just please pray that I get a new job. I'm the only Christian. I'm the only believer where I work. Well, why do you think you're there? Because you're the match that's been lit and you're the light that's shining in the middle of the darkness. Come on, somebody. I taught my children this principle way, way, way early because I was in college when I first read this and it just was like a firebrand down on the inside of me about 1980 at Arkansas State University in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Go ahead and put that up. And while you're getting it up, I'm going to quote it to you in King Jimmy. Jimmy said it this way. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings and not mean men. Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings and not mean men. That doesn't mean unkind, angry, treating you badly mean. It means arithmetically in your math class when you find the mean of something, it is the average. In other words, you won't stand before average, ordinary people. NLT translated this this way. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Abby texted me the other day and she was, she's done a session every day this week and into the night and she's got a new trainer and so she's really on a health kick and, and eating differently and got a trainer and losing some weight and just so excited. And she said, pray for me, I'm exhausted, everything about me is sore. <laughs> and so I texted back Ecclesiastes 9.10. I didn't tell her what it was, I made her go look it up. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. I taught my children growing up, if if it's worthy of you taking your time to do it, it's worthy of you doing it right the first time. How many of you heard your parents tell you that? Son, if you're going to do it, do it right. (laughs) Daughter, listen to me, baby. Don't waste time doing it two or three times. Do it right the first time. You don't have to do it over again. That's a kingdom principle. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Bump it into the New Testament. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all to the glory of God. You want a promotion? You need a raise? You want an increase in your salary? You want to be able to make more money? Get a better attitude about your boss. Show up on time with a smile on your face and do it with a whole heart. Fix the problem. Don't be part of the problem. Come on, somebody help me preach a little bit in this room this morning. Because people in the world are looking for the same thing that God is looking for in the kingdom. He, guess what God does? When you become a problem solver, He rewards you with bigger problems for you to solve. He gives you, when you take responsibility and you excel at it, you make an A on the test, He gives you bigger responsibility and with that responsibility comes more resources and a promotion and a raise and the blessing of God that you're looking for. So quit complaining about your problems and pray about them and say, God, give me good, fresh, new ideas. Proverbs, uh, what is it, 13 says, I, wisdom, create witty inventions. Come on, that's the wisdom of Christ that's on the inside of you. Lean into that and say, God, show me how to do this. Give me a way to come up with a a new solution to this. Don't just whine and bellyache and gritch about all the problems that are at work. You know what gritching is? It's griping and something else. I'm not going to say it. Do you see a man skillful in his, in his work? Seest thou a man diligent in his business? Let me tell you something. This started working in my life immediately when I stood on that promise and I, I wrote it on a three-by-five card and I headed off to class as a freshman in college and I said, God, I ex- I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to put my whole heart into it. I'm going to, with all my might, I'm going to whatever I t- put my hand to and I'm going to do it with, with everything I've got. And Sadie, who was the dorm mother in Delta Hall, said, I want to have an ice cream social. And Mike Smith, I heard that you play the piano. And and, and I want want to pull a piano in from the music department, and I want you just to play some pop music and some nice stuff for our ice cream social because a bunch of leaders from the university, the president and his wife are coming. We're going to have an ice cream social at Delta Hall. We're going to clean it up and decorate a little bit, and, and we're going to clean this old nasty old Delta Hall up and make it look like something. And so I'm sitting over there playing the piano, and the president comes by, and he greets me, and his wife lingers and stays and keeps talking. And she says... How would you like to come to the President's Mansion and play for some cocktail parties at the President's Mansion? I said, I would, I would love to. And y'all, uh, this is 1980, 1981. For the next three years, my spending money came from every week or two weeks, sometimes two or three a weekend, would go over there to the President's Mansion on Nettleton Drive in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and sit down and play a big black grand piano. I met United States senators and congressmen and women. I met the governors of a dozen states. They entertained people all the time. And they would always come, always come over to the piano and say, I know that tune. What is that? And they would stand there. Remember when I met Birch Bay from the senator from Indiana? And he had gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit because his wife had cancer and God healed her. And he came over and he said, was that... Andre Crouch's To God Be the Glory, and I, you know, I kind of toned it down a little bit because folks, you know, walking around with a drink in their hand, and I'm singing, I'm not singing, I'm playing, <laughs> you know, pop music, and I would throw in a gospel tune that was kind of a, had a little classical edge to it, little, some of you don't know who I'm talking about, would have a little Dino Carcinakis sound to it. Some of you know who he is. So it was, you know, kind of classical a little bit. And they paid me $30 an hour in 1980. Y'all, that's nearly 40 years ago. They paid me $30 an hour, and I'd I'd do two or three of those a month, and that was my blow money, just spending money. How many of you know, you see a man diligent in his work, he will stand before kings. Now, I didn't ever ever meet a king, but I met senators and congressmen. I played Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, have mercy. Bill Clinton played his sax one time. I don't know whether you like him or not, that's beside the point, but he he became the president. He knew me. Doesn't now, but he did then. <laughs> Are y'all here what I'm talking about? Whatever you do. Now, it really infuriated the music department because I was a business major. Why don't you have one of our music m- pianists up here? And, sh- and Ms. Willock says, because I like his music. That's why. Are y'all hearing me? God will promote you. He will set you out there in ways, if you will just honor him. I, I'm, I'm behind because I started telling the story about me. I'm sorry, but I want to show you what it means to excel. Just, just put your heart into it. Just do it with passion. The Bible says in Psalm 16:3, but to the saints in the earth and the excellent in whom is my delight. God delights when you put your heart and your skill and everything you've got, doing the best you can with what you've got. A- 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 it's amazing what God will do for you when you just show Him you're going to do it with integrity and do it ethically and do it morally and do it righteously. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. A- Abby, Abby was just recently with a world-famous singer. And um, she had been, Abby had been commissioned to put all the vocal production together for this, this song. And they got there, and the singer who was supposed to sing, had voice went out, and... and uh, the lady was a little bit kind of a diva, and, and she says, well, who are you? And, and Abby just says, well, miss, and I'm not going to say her name for the tape because I don't want it to be out there. She says, I'm just here to serve you. And she's, and the lady says, well, this is your debut. And she said, oh, no, ma'am, I'm here to serve you. What can I do? You tell me what you want me to do. She said, girl, I want you just to sing. I want you to go on ahead, and I'll just kind of ad-lib a little bit. And the the, the 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 tension that was first there because of somebody who's reached a world-renowned status all of a sudden just fell in love with my daughter because she just said, oh, no, ma'am, I'm here to serve you. Now, see, it's so easy when you get a little bit of skill at something to all of a sudden think you're all that and you, ha- you want to come from a top-down, take-over-the-world position. But if you'll remember, Jesus said, that's not to be so among you. That may be so among the Gentiles, but it's not so among you. Because every leader among you is supposed to be like a servant. So we get up underneath, and she literally said, Miss, and she called her name, she says, No, 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 this is not about me. I'm here to serve you. What can I do to help you? And she said, Oh, girl, I like you. Where are you from? I- People don't treat me like that. Are y'all hearing me? You know... I always taught the kids, be so good that, that, that they can't ignore you. Don't just say, well, I'm a Christian and then God's going to bless me regardless and, and half-heartedly do something. Y'all all right this morning, everybody hearing what I'm saying? And, and make sure that when you begin to develop a skill, that you're kind and you're humble. And be so kind that even your haters can't hate you. That they just go, man, I just like her. It just ticks me off. She's so good, but I just like her. <laughs> Y'all with me? You know what? They tested Daniel and those three Hebrew young men ten days later, and they found out that because they turned away from the king, king of Babylon's fair and they put their trust in God, they found out that they were the strongest and the brightest and the most handsome and had most skills, and they were promoted to be the leaders in the Babylonian kingdom. Are you hearing that this morning? Overcomers will find a way, not an excuse. Say that with me. Overcomers will find a way, not an excuse. Number two, reproduction. Seed time and harvest. One scripture I want to grab real quick. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the, everybody say, right time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, you know what? We started out when we came to, to West Memphis in 1988 pulled in right after Thanksgiving and before Christmas, and we said, we're going to plant a church. I didn't have a sending organization. I didn't have a monthly check. We didn't have a quarter of a million dollars and a staff of six already set with us with a children's minister and a youth minister and a, a, uh, you know, worship person. All that was wrapped up in me and Dawn. And a kid that was 11 months old that was like five kids wrapped up in one. I said, I came to town with three magic beans, faith, hope, and love. And I scratched the hole in the ground the first year and planted faith. And we rode it out. And we hit some stone walls and some mountains and we kept going and we didn't quit. Times when we wanted to quit. And, and there came a time where the sapling finally broke the ground. And six, seven years later, we start to see a little fruit come out of it. And we're starting to see some more acorns on the oak, oak tree. And now we've planted those acorns and we don't just have a few, but we've got a whole field full because we've not quit and we're 30 years into it and we're in a new season and we're about to enter a season where God's going to give us exponential increase. (laughs) Y'all hear me this morning? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we want. Don't give up, don't quit. There ain't no quit on the inside of you. One of my historical heroes is Winston Churchill. One of his famous speeches, he said, never, 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 never give up. In all the midst of the blood and sweat and toil and tears, never give up. There has to be the recognition that there's something, there's a seed on the inside of you. There is a seed called Christ, Jesus Christ, who didn't give up in the face of intense opposition, in the face of sinners and accusations that were untrue, in the face of everything and the weight of the sin of the world upon Him. He did not give up, but He followed through to the end. And He is on the inside of you. And when you feel like you want to quit, remember there's something in you that can't quit. There's something in you that cannot die. There's something in you bigger than the disease you're fighting. There's something in you bigger than the brokenness in your home. Don't quit. Don't give up. Oh, hear that prophetically. Holy Ghost of God, sweep over the hearts of this people in this room this morning and hear that at just the right time, you're going to get a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. A seed, hold up an acorn, what do you see? Do you see a tree? Well, okay, great. You're a minor prophet. That's beautiful. But if I hold up a seed, can anybody in the room see a whole forest inside that seed? not just a tree. This is crazy. You can take one kernel of corn off of an ear that had three to five hundred individual seeds on it. You can take that one seed, drop it into the ground and a sprout will shoot up in just a matter of a few weeks and it will grow a stalk and on that stalk will be at least three if not four ears of corn that will have three to five hundred more seeds imprinted with the same DNA, made of the same image as the first seed it started with. Exponential increase. Take your seed. Don't eat up all your seed. Sow some of your seed. Sow love. You need a friend, be friendly to somebody. You need some compassion, show somebody some compassion. You need some finances, sow some finances into the kingdom of God where you know you can get a return on your investment. Man, I'm preaching so good. I wish y'all were acting half as good as as this message is. Some of you right now are just in a dark, dank, wet, smelly, stinky place, and you feel like you've been buried. Remember, you've just been planted (laughs) because you're a seed, and you're going to sprout some fruit. Come on, somebody. One last point, and I'm finished. God writes the DNA of unlimited potential into every seed. One person can become a nation. One believer can change a culture. One seed can become a forest. Christ in you is the seed of God's glory that will cover the whole earth. Look at this. You all know this story. Jesus and the little boy's lunch. Jesus is out there on the side of a hill, grassy slope. And the the scripture tells us that there are 5,000 men, that they didn't even count the women and children in those days. So a conservative number that's on that slope that's been at the Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association seminar that day that are getting hungry is probably conservatively about 15,000 people. fifteen to 20,000. Let's, let's look into the scenario here. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? First of all, Get it in your mind right now that Jesus is not just only concerned about your spiritual needs. Whether you get out of hell or go to heaven. But he's concerned with your life. He wants you to have food in your stomach. He said, where can we get enough food to feed these people? Jesus wasn't just out there preaching ethereal kingdom concepts. But he's out there giving them a word that will practically change their lives. And he says, now we've got to feed these folks. Come on, we got to get some bread. And and look at how Philip answers. He says this. Before that, he says, he was testing Philip. Read it with me. For he already knew what he was going to do. How many of you know sometimes when the Lord asks you a question, he's already got something up his sleeve. He knows what he's going to do, but he wants to see how you're going to respond. Actually, he already knows how you're going to respond. He just wants you to see how you're going to respond. And so this is what he says. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now, there's 12 disciples, and Philip is thinking linear increase. Well, if we all go get us a job, 12 of us, and we earn a day's wages, it's going to take all of us months to earn enough money, just thinking linear increase. We can save it up, and Lord, these people will be dead by then. They'll be so hungry. It'll take months. But Philip is limited in his thinking. But the person of exponential increase is standing in front of him The unlimited God of heaven is standing right in front of him. Read it, verse 8. Then Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up, interrupted the conversation. He says, well, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? How many of you know, God already knows you don't have enough to do the dream that he's put in your heart. But he's interested to see what you're going to bring him that he will be able to multiply if you're willing to give it up. What good is that with this huge crowd? Verse 10, tell everyone to sit down. Jesus, Hey, y'all, Jesus said, sit down. You back there, sit down. Jesus said, so they all sat down. One rolled over and they all... <laughs> 14,999 in the bed and the little one said, roll over. Uh, the men alone numbered about 5,000. So 15,000, 20,000 people, look here. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Now wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. The, The other story, the other Gospels pay a little more attention to the boy. Can you think about this? Now the boy has already heard about Jesus. He's heard that this is amazing prophet of God has come to town. And when he shows up, crazy things happen. This thing called miracles happens. Blind eyes get opened and deaf ears are unstopped, and lame people get up and walk, and dead people have been raised in his... Oh, that can't be true, but I mean, I've heard about it, but i got to go see, so let me run by McDonald's and get me a Happy Meal on the way. And he's got his little Happy Meal with his little five little loaves and his two little fish. Somebody said one time, those must have been really big loaves to feed 15,000 people. You can't get a loaf big enough. Five little loaves, two little fish. But the fact is is that the little boy was willing to give it. It was his lunch that day. He prepared. He was responsible. He got up. He put his lunch together. He's going to see Jesus and there's a huge crowd. Nobody else prepared. He prepared. Wait a minute. I did what I was supposed to do. This is mine. How I many of you know what I'm telling you the truth this morning? Is, it's just that the fact of the matter. When you are just good and disciplined in what you do, you don't want to give it to the slackers. But Jesus said... If you will put that in my hands, you will have more than you could have ever dreamed of. And the Bible says Jesus took the loaves, and he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. I don't know, every loaf, as soon as he broke it in half, the half grew another end, and he broke it. I don't know how it happened, but he just kept multiplying. He kept pulling something up out of that little little fishing basket, out of that little Happy Meal packet. I wonder what kind of toy he got that day from McDonald's. I don't know what was in there. But he kept on breaking, and he broke the fish in half, and a head would grow a tail, and a tail would grow a head, and here comes, it goes again. And before you know it, it's all distributed. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And look at this. Read it out loud with me. And they what? With one little boy's lunch. Because exponential increase touched it. Next one. And everyone was what? (coughs) They're burping, sitting around, they're full. By the way, in the Middle East, that's a a sign that you enjoyed your food. They want you to burp. I should have been born in the Middle East. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But really, I mean, it's like some other cultures besides us, you know, when you, you give a good belch, that's a sign to the cook that you really enjoyed the food. Jesus told his disciples, now, read it out loud with me, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Jesus is not interested in leaving one speck, one fragment that's wasted. I I always want to have more than enough. I don't ever want to have to say to friends who've come to my house for a get-together or a party and say, I'm sorry we've run out, don't leave, let me run get some more. No, 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 I always, it's better to have too much than not enough. And I'd rather have too much and send it to the mission. Or send a little care package home with everybody so that they can enjoy my party at my house twice and get two meals out of it. Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. I want you to see this. This is how good God is. Read it with me. So they picked up the pieces and filled how many baskets? How many disciples are there? They loaded all that into a boat and headed into a storm and the disciples start gritching about having a hard time rowing in a storm while they've got a basket full of miracle that just happened. How many times do we walk out of one miracle and forget about it. It's sitting right between our knees and we've got to lean over it as we row and we forget that all of that that's there the leftovers. The leftovers. Every disciple had a whole basket a whole doggy basket to take home with him and head over to the other side of Galilee as they rode into a storm if if you're in a hard place right now and your faith is waning just take a slight glimpse back to the last time God answered a prayer for you come on just just take a slight look back to the last miracle that you know it took God to do, that you knew that you couldn't make it out of it if the Lord didn't show up and He showed up and when He showed up, He showed out and everybody said, man, this God is good, hallelujah, all the time, glory, hallelujah. Oh, but this storm is so hard and you're ignoring the miracle between your knees. Twelve baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Say this with me, little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. Real quick, just a few pointers. Honor God with all you do. First thing, honor God. Number two, be so excellent that they can't ignore you. Number three, be so kind and humble that even your haters can't hate you. Number four, be so consistent that they can't forget you. The greatest seed that you can sow is your life into the kingdom of God. God writes the DNA of unlimited potential into every seed. One person can become a nation, ask Abraham. One believer can change a culture, ask Daniel. Ask Rosa Parks, who said, you know what? I ain't going to stand for this no more. No, thank you, sir. I'm going to keep my seat right here. And the Montgomery boycott began that caught the attention of a young preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement was started because one lady decided, no, 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 I'm going to keep my seat. I'm going to stay right where I are, right where I, are. <laughs> right where I am. Are you all hearing me this morning? Where, when you decide I'm not going to stand for this anymore and I'm just going to sit down and trust God, or whether you're not going to sit around and be lazy anymore and you're going to stand up and you're going to start to walk. Whatever your instruction is in your life, when you start to take action and say, nope, not going to live like this, not going to do this, I'm going to trust God and He's going to bring blessing that's going to blow my mind. When you sow your life into the kingdom of God, that's the greatest seed that you can possibly sow. Because Christ sowed the greatest seed when He gave His life on Calvary for me and you. He became our substitute. He endured the sinful mocking of, of, of sinful men who lied and cheated and stealed stole. You get, you get my point. I'm getting my verbs all turned around, so it's time to say amen. <laughs> but before we do, this is the critical point in the service. Lights are coming down. I'm going to ask you to bow your hearts, your, your head, close your eyes.